Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. Have you ever wondered how a book becomes a movie? Or how a movie becomes a musical? Or how anything is adapted at all? Join us as we talk about your favorite stories and all the changes that were made along the way. But more importantly, why? This is Willing to Adapt. Welcome back to Willing to Adapt. I'm Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. And how are you doing today, Romy? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yes. Really good? Really good. Well, you just got a new car. I did. Yes. <laughs> finally. Yeah. You want to explain why? <laughs> my old car died. I mean, that's just it to it. I, Miserably. I, I drove a lemon. I was on my way to work and it died. And I was able to coast off to the edge of the freeway before anything, before I got stuck. That would have been, that would have been horrible. At least it happened before all the rain. It did, yes. And so it, I've been without a car for, what, two and a half weeks? I feel like Oh, it's it seems so much longer than that. Okay. I, I feel like it's been about three. But <laughs> uh, thankfully, uh, Buddy stepped in, offered me his, his vehicle, and praise God, and I have something to drive now. Good. Nice. Yes. How about you? Uh, I'm good. Busy. Finishing up school. Uh, I'm in a filmmaking class this semester, so um, I've been film location scouting. Um, lots of fun, really frustrating, but I'm enjoying it. It's um, We'll see what happens. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing that film, hopefully. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so today we are talking about Coraline, the book by Neil Gaiman and the film by Henry Selick. Yes. And Romy... I know that you saw the movie first because I showed it to you. Yes. And so you, when was the first time you read the book? Was it for this podcast? It was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I started reading, I think I read the first chapter maybe four weeks ago, and then I finished the rest of the book this week. Mm. And how did you like it? <laughs> so the book for me added a lot of context for what i saw in the movie oh really yes okay the movie it was it was good i I think i I appreciated it a lot better once i read the book interesting and then especially once i pulled up some articles did some research and some deeper reading with uh, supplemental stuff it made a lot more sense Mm. and i think also it helped me see differences between the two and possible interpretations. I mean, I don't know if you came across exactly what he meant by some of his writing or if there wasn't intended meaning. In the book? In both. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, there's definitely a lot of meaning in the movie. There's a lot of symbolism and metaphor and stuff I like. But Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually thought the opposite. I thought the movie really enhanced the book. I feel like the movie really fleshed out a lot of things from the book and, and explained a lot. But we'll get into that. Yes. So Coraline is a novella for young readers by uh, the British author Neil Gaiman. It was published in 2002, but he actually started writing it in 1990, which I can never tell with writers if that's good or not. (laughs) I mean, I know how slow I work, but I think part of it from what I've learned is he was moving to America during that time. And he was really busy working professionally. And he only started writing Coraline because he was writing it for his first daughter. as almost like a bedtime story. He would always tell his, his children stories when they would go to bed. And 
his first daughter loved classic fairy tales. And I, I guess she was really drawn to like the horrific stuff in classic fairy tales. A lot of the stuff that Disney cuts out. And so he would start looking for essentially children's horror stories, but no one had that. And so he just decided, I guess I'll write it. And, and I guess because it took him so long to write it, he had a second daughter at that time and she was starting to get older and his first daughter was too old for children's books. And so he quickly finished the book for his second daughter before she was too old. Hmm. Okay. The book Coraline is about a young girl named Coraline Jones who finds a doorway to a parallel, sinister other world inside her new home, and she must battle the evil other mother who lives there to secure her family's safety. So, I actually read the book when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Okay. But I had seen the movie first. Okay. I didn't know the book existed until I had seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I know the big gimmick for the movie is that it was in 3D, and this is when 3D was really trying to make a comeback. And so I remember you you could get the DVD sent to you after, and I mean you bought it, and it would come with 3D glasses if you chose to watch it in 3D. I did not know that. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it probably makes some of the viewing make some sense. <laughs> did you see it in 3D? I I actually I don't think I ever saw it in theaters. I oh, think okay. I only saw it once it was on DVD. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. I think we had some... You know what? Oh, my gosh. This was so long ago. I think we rented it from Blockbuster. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But funny story. Um, I guess in the interviews and behind the scenes for the movie, mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman has stated that before the book was even essentially published, he sent a copy to Henry Selleck. Wow. And he, I guess he was so excited by the book in general... Mm-hmm. that he was like, I really want to see this as a film. And he had said in interviews, he only imagined two people who could ever direct it and do it justice. And one of them was Tim Burton, mm-hmm. and the other was Henry Selleck. Wow. And Henry Selleck is the director of Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. So, I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> For those who don't know. Yes. I don't remember. I remember we, we talked about this previously. I don't remember what you said <laughs> about Nightmare Before Christmas being... A lot of people think the Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas is directed by Tim Burton, but it's actually not. It He he had the concept. In the 80s, Tim Burton wanted to create a short TV special for Disney because he was working for them at the time. And Disney basically said, no, Tim, that's too dark. We can't do that. <laughs> I guess because he was speaking of the momentum with Beetlejuice and other things, Disney kind of gave him the green light. And they said, okay, you can make your film, I guess. (laughs) And so he was already busy because he did Batman and now he was working on Batman Returns. And so Tim Byrne basically went to Henry Selleck and was like, hey, can you make this for me? And so Henry Selleck essentially worked on it and created it with minimal input from Tim Burton. But he tried to make it look as much like timber in style as possible so where did the two well, well kind of going back to Coraline, where did the two like meet uh, i guess Is, it, did Who, he Neil Gaiman and Henry so what we saw in Coraline, no uh, uh tim burton and, and henry selleck Selic. so when i'm watching Coraline, i see a lot of resemblance 
Because then it makes me wonder, like, okay, well, did he take some of that Tim Burton-ish, or has that always been Selleck's style and what he used in Coraline? Because I, I, don't, I, I don't know about you, but a lot of people I've talked to, they tend to think it was a Disney movie. They tend to think it was Tim Burton. Well, I think there's this idea out there that if it's an animated movie, it must be a Disney movie, mm-hmm. which is a fallacy. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are a lot of studios out there, and, you know, it's a business, and so... Yeah, everybody's trying to get their input out there and everybody's trying to do outdo the other. But no, I think because everybody for the longest time thought, you know, Anastasia was a Disney movie and it was yeah. not. It was Fox. Mm-hmm. Now it's technically Disney because Disney bought Fox. That's, yeah. But Disney was not the original creators. So do you think the style is more also con- added because it was a stop motion? For Coraline? Or? Yeah, for Coraline. What do you mean? So? The creepiness oh okay well and henry selleck has actually said on the record i mean he loves stop motion Mm. henry selleck he 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 was the director of nightmare for christmas but he was also the director of james and the giant peach which i've not seen interesting really good really good movie it's also kind of dark but it's good okay um not as dark but it's good um we'll have to do an episode on that we will we'll have to i think we'll have to do a roll doll series we talked about that That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Henry Selleck had said at one point, stop motion works really well for like horrific things. Mm. And it's this very odd sensation because you know that it's not real and yet it gives you this false sense of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so much more than you can get with CGI because it, it's tangible. Like stop motion animation exists. It's not something in a computer. It's not something you draw on a paper. Like it's, it's something you mold. It's something that you create physically, and you're taking pictures of it, and then you link it all together to make a moving picture. Are you a fan of stop motion? I actually do like stop motion. Okay. Yeah, I've never really thought stop motion was creepy. I've always thought stop motion was, was very interesting. Hmm. Not that I ever wanted to make stop motion. Yeah. But I have a very. A very high respect for people who work in that field. Okay. Because it takes so long to make a second of footage of stop motion animation. Yeah. It takes years and years to, to make a film with using stop motion animation. And you watch like some of the behind the scenes stuff. There's a scene in Coraline where she Coraline's in the other world and she's visiting her other neighbors, mm-hmm. like the the false versions of her neighbors. Yeah. And it's Miss Spink and Miss Forcible who are like these famous, like has been actresses essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and when she's watching them put on their show and it's this extravagant show that goes wrong and then is magical. They're doing these crazy scene transitions and there's a behind the scenes featurette um, where it shows one of the animators working on just a second of that footage and all the things he had to do within that second. Because he had to go and move one of the characters just slightly to the right, mm-hmm. and he had to go and transition the scenery just slightly, and he just had to move so many things and then take the picture. Oh, wow. And people don't think about that. Yeah, People don't realize how artistic and horrifyingly long it takes you have to really be patient yeah and 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 just know that it's gonna pay off eventually in the end Mm. 
But people had to go in and actually like hand sew those costumes for those puppets. Dang. Because you can't wow. go buy that stuff. That doesn't exist. Yeah. You can't just go to a store and buy little puppet stuff. I think in, in this day of animation, a computer animation, we tend to forget. Right. Yeah. I, I, I find, like, I mean, CGI can do great stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, CGI can do amazing things, and I like CGI generally. But there's just something about, one, 2D animation I love. But stop-motion animation, again, because it's tangible and you know it physically exists, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just, it's something else. I don't know how to describe it. It's inter- it's interesting. Yeah, no, definitely is. Creepy too, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, you know what? After watching, reading the book, like I said, and then kind of re-watching scenes from the movie, I think it's just also, it's a... It's a a bit of taste and style sure so my general taste and style tends to lend to the more traditional uh the other day i went to go buy a shake a, a ice cream shake and you got plain vanilla and i got well so <laughs> the attendant convinced me to go a little bit different and i got chocolate and that's kind of how i am with with certain especially when it comes to art i don't i don't like going to modern art crap i mean sorry shows or whatever <laughs> i don't really like modern art either yeah and so anything that's kind of like this would be maybe a little bit what not what's what was that artist not van gogh what uh, van Grant? where they, it was a little bit like where it's it's you take reality and you just kind of make it a little more I don't know. Artie? Artsy? No, please go on. <laughs> I don't know how to, phrase, how to phrase it. I'm trying to think of the artist. There's it's an artist. I watch you struggle. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have the artist's pictures in my head. I just can't think of his name. But it's where you take kind of real life, but you make it a little bit... Surrealism? Yes. Yes. Surreal. Mm. That's kind of that's basically what it is for me. And I'm not a big fan yeah. of surrealism. Did you say serialism? Surrealism. <laughs> <laughs> no, not serial. I do like cereal. The side of toastism. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Got it. No, um, well, we there's a lot in Coraline. I, I and the thing about Coraline is, if you haven't seen it, go go watch it. It's it's amazing. Uh, read the book. You know, when I first read Coraline, I read it in high school. But you know what's funny is I really don't remember most of it. I only remember specific, like one specific scene from when I read it originally. But I remember not liking the book. Okay. And I think as an adult, I said, I need to read this again because I don't remember this. And I I think it was better than I remember, but compared to the movie, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot more. I think the movie presents a lot more to the audience than the book gives to the reader. I think the biggest thing is, I, I think I already said, the movie really just fleshes out and expands upon the book. I can see why you say that. I, 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 and I think, I don't know if it fleshes out in my opinion as much as it, it I, I would actually say in certain areas it reframes some of the ideas in the book, perhaps. Sure. Well, I think, let's just say this. So in the book, Coraline, she very quickly discovers this big door in her living room and she ends up finding the key for it and she goes through and she finds this other world but very quickly she realizes this is a very creepy world and she meets the other mother and the other mother is like instantly very creepy but other than that like i i just felt she, she goes and 
in reality, she has these neighbors. She's got Miss Spink and Miss Forcible, who are these old actresses. But then she also has, um, I think he has a different name in the book, but in the movie he's Mr. Bobinski. Mm-hmm. And Bobo, he, Mr. Bobo. Yeah, Mr. Bobo. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember having to read that a couple times. I'm like, Mr. Bobo. But in the in the book, they she has these neighbors, and then she goes into the other world, and they kind of briefly show that they are doing more fantastical things in the other world than in reality, but they don't really do much beyond that. And but the whole time she's in the other world, Coraline is instantly on guard. Like she, she automatically just doesn't. She's not taken in by it that much. She thinks it's interesting, but she's also scared of it, and she doesn't trust it, and it's automatically very creepy. But in the movie, in the movie, there I feel like it, it fleshes out a lot because in the movie you see what her parents do, and like they work for a magazine for yard and gardening, and um, when she goes to the other world, she she finally sees like this gigantic performance from the actresses and she sees this crazy circus from Mr. Bobinski and you never actually saw anything from him in in the book. You never saw like a circus or anything. They kind of barely touch upon him. And um, I think that one of the biggest changes though is in in the movie, they introduced this character of uh, YB Lovat. Who I guess like the Lovats are hinted at in the book as it's mentioned once the family that previously lived there. Yeah, the former owners. Owner. And I think Henry Selleck really ran with that idea mm-hmm. because he's on record for having said that because um, YB is not in the books. No, not at all. She's alone. Coraline's alone basically the whole time. Mm-hmm. But he was created for the movie basically so Coraline wouldn't have to talk to herself. And so she would have a friend her own age, essentially. In thinking about the two different types, I can definitely say I appreciate the changes that were made so that it could fit the medium. Mm-hmm. So the introduction and the use of, of YB. But it, it's it makes sense. And I think for me, in looking at the two different types, this is starting to sound like a previous podcast we did, <laughs> where I... I tend to appreciate more the book version than I did of the the movie version. Oh, you're talking about Secret of Nim. Secret of Nim, yes. <laughs> so, okay, so uh, we never really reconciled that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, did did we do the synopsis already? Did you do the synopsis of this? I gave a very brief synopsis. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that people have seen or read this before watching listening to this podcast. But I feel like there's so much Sometimes I just get lost in the weeds when I try to give a summary. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. I'll, I'll say this. Okay. Very quick. In the book, Coraline has just moved into a new home. And she, I already said she has these neighbors that she sometimes sees. And you don't really know what her parents do. You just know they're busy. And she goes into this other world. And in this other world, all the people have buttons for eyes. And... She has another mother and she has another father and the neighbors all have button eyes and everyone is very similar to who they are in real life except kind of creepier in the book. 
Um, and they're, they're trying to be very enticing to get her to stay. And you quickly learn that in order to stay, I guess she needs to sew on button eyes for herself. And naturally, Coraline does not like that. <laughs> and so she wants to leave. But then she quickly realizes that the other mother is very malevolent and wants her to stay. And when she tries to go back home, she finds out that her parents are missing. And she realizes that her parents essentially were kidnapped by the other mother. And she needs to go back and save them. There's a lot more to it. but And there's like a cat that she can talk to in the other world that doesn't actually talk in the real world and uh, things like that. Um, I will say the cat was the one thing that did translate from the movie over to the book. You mean from the book to the movie? No. For me, it was the movie to the book. So in when I'm reading the book, I could not remember the voices or the a lot of the Okay, so when you read the book, having seen the movie, you heard the I, cat's voice I heard the cat's from the voice movie? from the movie. In the he book. has a very specific voice. Yes. You know who he is? The actor? I... I I do know who he is. I just don't know his name. He? Do you know what else is he in? Not off the top of my head. He's um, Doctor Facilier from yes. Princess and the Frog. You're right. You know what? I pointed that out to my daughters. We were watching. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's a very specific voice. Yes. But yeah, I think the book moves pretty quickly, and Henry Selleck is on record for having saying that. Oh, I'll actually, I should preface this by saying, shockingly and I think amazingly, Neil Gaiman and Henry Selleck really get along well. They've been on joint interviews and they've been together and they consistently will sing each other's praises. Wow. And, and I mean, it says a lot that Neil Gaiman basically sent him a copy of the book before it was really published. Yeah. Like, at being like, please make this for me. Yeah. But, but and it took a long time to make the film, but Neil Gaiman basically consistently has said, yeah, Henry Selleck changed quite a bit from the book, but I actually really like the changes he made. And I think that doesn't happen a lot with writers. No, but I, I can see... So, I mean, not that I know either one of them, but from from a, my own psychological analysis of, these, of the books and everything there, just kind of seeing what Neil Gaiman writes and seeing how the movie turned out. And even in some of the articles I've read about him and his, the way he kind of approaches his, his art, I can see why he would say say that mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's there's a lot i would say there wasn't a lot of changes that were made in adaptation so much as there were a lot of additions that were in the movie not in the book and like one of the things was the concept of this rag doll in the movie and this is not in the book at all but in the movie they they create this this little rag doll and it's introduced at the beginning of the movie and you find out by the end of the movie it's the other mother making it and it does a really good job hinting at the history because it shows in the in the book and in the movie you find out the other mother has taken children before and has sewed on buttons to them and essentially has like essentially taken their souls yeah and so they're trapped in the other world as ghosts and so part of Part of the climax is Coraline needs to save her parents, but she also is trying to find the ghost's eyes so that they can be saved. And in the movie, it introduces the concept that there are other children at the beginning when you see that this little rag doll looks like this little um, other girl 
and and so <laughs> the other mother transforms it into looking like Coraline and so in the movie after Coraline moves into the home and she meets YB and he learns about the the place they're living in fun fact they called the house the pink palace in the movie yeah but the reason they did that is because they didn't want to consistently refer to it as the house oh I didn't know that yeah huh. <laughs> because I guess the idea is in the book and in the movie the house is this old house looks very Victorian and it was a gigantic house that has been transformed into multiple flats and in the book it was a little confusing but you can see in the movie the way they did it is the ground floor is Coraline's family but you also get the sense that it's the ground floor in the second level mm-hmm. um but there might be another half of the house not in use. But the basement belongs to Miss Bink and Forcible, and the attic space belongs to Mr. Bobinski. And they all just kind of share the space, but it's all walled up. Yeah, the book is very European in that regard. Yes. Yes. it's Because it, they, in the book, they, if I remember right, they own their sections of the house. Yes. It's almost like yes. condo-ish. Yes. And here in the movie, they rent it. And I also if I remember right, the movie takes place in Oregon. Yes, that was a transition. So yeah. the book originally is set in England. And it's interesting because Neil Gaiman, when he was writing it, originally he was basing it partly off of his own childhood in a house he grew up in. But also mm-hmm. he was basing it off of the house that he was raising his children in. Because he was raising his children in a home that was sectioned off and it was a really old house oh okay and but then so he he based the first house off of that one those two but then when he moved to america basically the house that you see in the movie Mm -hmm. is very similar to the house that he actually lived in when he finished the book hmm and it in in interviews it almost sounded like that was accidental yeah (laughs) but i think it's kind of fun and but they obviously because it was an American audience they they changed it to be in America yeah and there are if I remember right there are pink palace apartments in Oregon now I'm sure there are uh, it was I don't know if, what city it's supposed to be in I think I have a note on that somewhere I remember it's this they reference somewhere because it takes place in an actual city that has an actual Shakespeare festival and in the film they reference there being a Shakespeare festival coming up anyways so going back to the ragdoll um, Coraline is essentially given this rag doll by YB because YB found it in his house. And throughout the movie, you end up realizing this rag doll is a way for the other mother to essentially spy on and do her bidding in the real world, essentially. And that's something not in the book. In the book, you don't really understand how the other mother is able to understand what's happening in the real world and the ragdoll was kind of a device in the movie to show that well they do mention the rats are her eyes yeah and and it is in the in the movie but i i i really like the idea of like using this like ragdoll that she created to entice people and to guide them to go to the other world essentially yeah, kind of indifferent. <laughs> no, because I think for me, I like one of the things that I found very interesting between the two is that animals. So in the in the movie, they're made with sawdust, 
everything that she creates mm-hmm. has sawdust in it, which, which within itself is a whole other. Um, it leads to a whole other interpretation well, that I've read about for the movie. Because you would fill up dolls with sawdust. Yes, but there's there's a change in the movie versus the book in the scene where the the two uh, roommates, Miss Forcible and Miss Miss Bink, Miss Bink right? Mm-hmm. They're, they they speak Shakespeare, right? But the Shakespeare they use in the book is very different than the Shakespeare they use in the movie. Mm-hmm. And the I Shakespeare, going with this. I told you about this. You did? Yes. You can talk about when they're quoting Hamlet. Yeah, you told me about this. Yes, when, when? we watched the movie originally. I don't remember. <laughs> okay, well, what did you tell me? I'm curious. So <laughs> maybe that's where I in, came up in, with this. In the book, yeah, I'm sh- I just don't the, remember. In the book. Um, when they're trying to entice Coraline to stay in the other world, she goes to see a production done by Miss Spink and Forcible, and it starts off with them just reciting some Shakespeare, and it's just really random Shakespeare. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. And stuff. Um, and, and then midway through the performance, they like unzip themselves, and you see they're now young again. And then they're kind of like juggling and doing random stuff. And I, I thought it was kind of a letdown. I feel like they could have done a lot more. But also I came off watching the movie. In the movie... She goes to watch them, and it's in this gigantic theater, and she's with YB, the other YB, who does not talk. <laughs> and um, she goes to watch, and it starts, and this was what was interesting, because the first, um, when it opens, it's uh, Miss Spink, mm-hmm. and they're recreating paintings. And the first painting is Ulysses and the Sirens by Herbert James Draper, apparently. And it depicts a scene from the Greek myth with um, the sirens trying to entice the sailors to come to yeah. them, to their deaths, essentially. Mm-hmm. Which works really well with the other mother. Mm-hmm. The idea of just her enticing these people to come in, but then she basically kills them. Yeah. And then Miss Forcible's recreating the painting called The Birth of Venus by Sandro Botticelli. Mm-hmm. And it shows the birth of the Roman goddess. And, I mean, I, I mean, it's just... And it's like also shocking because she's wearing practically nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, it leads into them going up on uh, to jump into a trapeze act. And they unzip and they become young again. And the movie did a great job of showing what the younger versions of them looked like. In the movie, when she first goes to their apartment, you see um, billboards from old shows they used to be in Mm -hmm. and i thought it was really funny that the movie went the route of making them hinting that they were burlesque actresses oh i didn't really catch that because they have shakespeare play names Uh uh-huh like um julius sees her and king lear oh i missed that (laughs) and they're like act like acting really sultry Mm -hmm. in them (laughs) <laughs> I just thought it was funny that they went that route and then in, in the other world like they're actually like really professional like actresses but in the other world when they're young again they're, they start to quote Hamlet which is not in the book they they quote um, what a piece of work is man mm-hmm. and the quote is what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable, 
In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And that's where it ends in the movie. And I remember, even when I was younger, watching it and going, that's an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Because good storytellers don't do things for no reason. True. And yep. I was always curious, like, why did they pick that? Mm-hmm. And I never really knew. And so I naturally started researching. And I was looking and trying to figure out, like, Hamlet and that specific soliloquy and... I finally came to the conclusion, I'm going to look at not what they're saying, but what they're not saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then I ended up realizing that they purposefully left out the last bit of the quote in the movie. Mm -hmm. And the last bit is, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Yeah. And as you were going to say, that is what all of the creations in the other world are made of. Yes. But they don't want Coraline to know that. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in a, in a really interesting way, if you know the quote from Shakespeare, you know it's foreshadowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. No, yeah, that, that, the, that's where I was, I was saying where they, there are the choices they make in the adaptations that do add to the story in ways that the original author didn't think about. And so there was that one, and then... Dang it, I had another one that just also was thinking about in regards to, yeah, I don't remember what it was. <laughs> it's okay. Um, um, I'm just so struck on Hamlet now. <laughs> um, there's there's a lot of foreshadowing in the movie. I and mean, one of the other for, big foreshadows is um, when, she, when Coraline first goes to the other world and she meets the other mother, well, one thing that Henry Selleck did is he wanted to make the other mother and the world very enticing for Coraline. They didn't want her to be instantly turned off to the other world. Mm-hmm. Like in the book. In the book, the other mother is kind of automatically a little creepy. Yeah. In the movie version, you get a sense something's not right, but you you know it's very enticing. Like these are, on a, on the surface, the almost perfection of what she's used to yeah like in, re- in in her real world her mother and her father are very busy they're workaholics they're writing and editing for a gardening magazine and they're very like they just let her do her own thing and they get very angry when they when she bothers them and uh, which i think happens a lot in older children's literature and movies mm-hmm. <laughs> but um in in the other world they're very attentive and they they give her things that she wants and they make her all the foods that she likes. And, and, and the movie does a great job of showing that. Because in the book, you really don't see her parents much. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, it does a point of... It makes a point of showing you that her dad makes, like, really gross food. And that they have very boring jobs. And that they're not attentive to her. And she wants to go garden. But even though they like to garden, they don't like the mess. And all this stuff. And, in the, and in, it gives the opportunity of having the other parents present her with these things. Now the other mother's making her these delicious foods and making her outfits that are beautiful that her mom wouldn't buy for her. And instead of boring jobs, like now her dad like like plays music and and it's so exciting. I, I and looking at at the changes maybe because I'm a parent, but one of the things I think 
that stuck out for me in the movie was I I think in the movie I was annoyed with with Caroline Coraline with Coraline why I honestly a lot of times kids or young people's roles in features or movies tend to annoy me <laughs> that's well that's actually even in books because like I I think what's her name J.K. Rowling did the same thing with with Harry Potter Harry started to annoy me by the last four books she wrote a teenager i was like annoyed with him i mean he that's how teenagers are yeah and with Coraline, but you're I, an adult reading it. yes but Coraline in the book wasn't as annoying to me because i i felt like i i kind of understood her a little bit better mm. but in the sense of the Coraline in the book was just facing the realities of of life in certain ways even though there was in a with a fantastic aspect thrown in but it was more the dullness of life because for instance let's look at the dad's meals in the book i felt the dad was just he, he was making meals that were not vanilla <laughs> you know he was throwing tarragon and this other stuff and and i think the only time they the only time they mentioned that it it might taste bad i think was at the pizza at the end where it says the dough was a little bit it was a little doughy and a little bit burnt but otherwise, and when I was beginning the book, it felt I felt like he was just an adventurous cook, and Coraline <laughs> couldn't handle it. And you you see later on that she, in the book, when she's eating the pizza at the very end, and she's happy to be with her parents again, she's accepting the realities of life. Versus in the in the movie, I didn't get that that sense of that kind of that that overarching point of the story. I don't know. I feel like. I feel like she did kind of mature in the movie. In the beginning, she's very whiny. She's very needy. That's the word I was looking for, and, whiny. And, and by the end, she's like very attentive. And she she's very sure of herself, but she's not cocky. And like she's loving and she realizes that she does love her parents. And her parents do love her and she needs them. Even though they might be a little boring at times. Or they might not give her what she wants. Like... And the book, the book really emphasizes that. The movie kind of yeah. hints at it more. Mm-hmm. But um, I think going back to talking about a bit some of the symbolism and foreshadowing mm-hmm. in in the movie when she goes and she meets the other father, um, two things when he talks about how he 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 plays music basically. Coraline says that her dad can't play, and he says don't need to. This piano plays me, and it has these glove mechanical gloves that come yeah, out. I remember that. And the gloves play with his hands in it, and it's this really interesting scene. Um, and I guess what happens is they're hinting early on that the they in it uh, the other mother the name they give her eventually is the Bell Dam, and it's trying to show that. Um, the other father is just as much a puppet as all the other things in the false world. Um, but the other interesting thought, thing about it I liked is, um, and this is something a lot of people have touched on, is the whole song that he sings to her um, is this gigantic foreshadowing of the events. So he sings her a song that at first it seems really cute and it's fun. It's like, making up a song about Coraline, you know? Yeah, and um, but when you listen to the lyrics, you realize he's actually warning her about what the other mother is going to be doing. It's like when she goes around exploring, 
mom and I will never make it boring. Our eyes will be on Coraline and mm-hmm. all these things. And and I, I, I like it. It's really, it's clever because it's subtle. Hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that originally they were going to make Coraline into a musical. Really? Yeah. I know, I know they... What, live action or, or still... I mean, it eventually became a, a stage production, and I've tried to listen to it, and I don't think it's that great, but I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. I meant uh, the original Oh, so... Movie. Yeah, so I, this is another interesting thing. I guess when they originally were making Coraline, it took a long time, they got Dakota Fanning to come on, and they were going to have it be live action. Okay, yeah, I read how she thought it was going to be a live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she started getting older... But um, then they changed it and they wanted to move to do stop motion. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when in the timeline it was, but they were going to make it a musical, like similar to Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Um, And they actually contracted the group, They Might Be Giants, Mm -hmm. to write the songs. Hmm. And they actually wrote a bunch of songs. And I guess They Might Be Giants had, at one point in an interview... That the songs that they were contracted to write have kind of made their way into their other albums. That's interesting. <laughs> but they didn't say which ones. Yeah. And um, But the one remaining song that they wrote that's still in the movie and actually is the singing voice of They Might Be Giants is the other father song. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the more you know. <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm going to throw out some quick trivia. Just uh, I've already given some, but here's two more. So when the other mother and the other father attempt to persuade Coraline to sew buttons under her eyes, you can see on the wall behind her in the dining room, there are these framed silhouettes. And these are supposed to represent the three ghost children that had been there previously. And I thought that was really fun. Interesting. <laughs> Did you know that? Nope. Mm-hmm. I, I caught that one watching it, I think on like my second or third watch. And I was like, oh, look at it, look at it. Mm-hmm. Um... And then in the movie, it, when they were filming during the production, there was an actual lunar eclipse. And this gave Henry Selleck the idea and the inspiration to have a lunar eclipse be the quote-unquote ticking clock while Coraline tries to find the ghost eyes and her other parents. Because in the book, she, she kind of makes this bet with the other mother to go and find the other the ghost eyes in her parents but mm-hmm. she's not given any time to do it like she's kind of like just take your time you know yeah in the movie for the sense of you know drama and to make it interesting like it gives it a time limit that that was one that that was the other change i was thinking about um when i lost my train mm-hmm. of thought earlier that was one change where the medium it fits better the medium of the movie because if they would have just left it to be whatever so it was actually it was that one and the ending the ending in the book would have probably have made a boring ending in the movie. <laughs> but personally, I prefer the ending in the book than I do the ending in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Why? It fits the story better. And I wasn't a big fan of YB to begin with. <laughs> I mean, he I can take him or leave him. I, he was fine in the movie. He played his role. I understand. So what you said earlier is they added him in so that she wasn't always talking to herself. So I see why he was needed in the movie. But he also gives a lot of exposition. Yes. And and in the book, it wasn't needed. I think if, I, if, if it would have been a page-for-page page adapta- 
edit uh, remake of the episode. You've said this before. <laughs> okay, is I, I it would not have worked. Sure, and I probably would have liked the movie even less. Mm-hmm. But if we're looking at the two different mediums, in this case, once again, I'm, well, I'm falling in line with the book. I felt like YB was very on theme, though. I felt like his character worked for the story because in the book and in the movie, like her parents and all the neighbors and people. Like, they never get her name right. They always call her Caroline, even though she corrects them. And they all act really weird, and they she doesn't really like it because she thinks that they're weird and stuff. In the movie? Yes. In the book and the movie. I didn't feel they were that weird in the book. They're not as weird, but they are... Like, she does remark about how they're weird, and she doesn't really understand them, and she doesn't really like being around them because they don't really... Like, essentially, they don't really do anything for her. Like, they're just... But to me, I saw that as just the difference between a, a, a child and a, or even teens and adults. Okay, but that's what I'm leading up to. Yeah, okay. Because in the movie, when they introduce YB, he's kind of just in addition to that. Yeah. Because he his character fits that theme. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, um, when she's, like, maturing and coming into her own and realizing that she does love her parents and she doesn't want to leave them and... She she misses all of that, mm-hmm. and in the end, when she has like this garden party and she invites everybody, she and that's the first time in the movie that people actually get her name right. Yes, I remember. And mm-hmm. Henry Selick was saying that it's supposed to show, essentially, that she has accepted the life that she's been given, mm-hmm. and it, it's trying to show that just like a, in real life with people. We're always going to encounter people who might like rub us the wrong way or who are kind of weird or um, don't quite fit our mold. And yet, like, you know, we're called to live alongside these people sometimes and mm-hmm. and you can still care about them and um, and so on. Yeah. And I think they were trying to show that in the movie. And I mean, again, it's subtle, but yeah, but I liked it. I think it works. No, it does. It does work. And that's it, it kind of goes back to just what I was saying earlier is that I understand the changes, but I have my preference because sure. I, I know in the book. I felt in reading it, I could just tell she matured in the in the way her her thoughts came out in the, in the writing. Well, in the book. The whole time I was reading it, I really felt like she was older the whole time. Hmm. And so there were times when I was reading it, I got really confused because it would talk about how she couldn't reach something. So then she had to get a chair and stand on it to, to reach it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, how short is she? <laughs> See, I have having a daughter who's super short. I To me, it, it, it was like, okay, there's just short. But know, there's just times where they tried to make old, it sound like she was really young. Yeah. But... The way that she would think and and act at times in the book, I was like, I, it seems like she's older than she is. Like it didn't seem like she, like she did some maturing, but it didn't seem like she did as much as in the movie. No, it, but it, uh, growth of character. I, I mean, I, I still see the growth of character as what I saw in her in the book, more so than in in the movie. There was growth of character, but just. I don't know. I just didn't have as much of an impact of her growth in the movie as I did in the book. I thought the movie was a lot more emotional. Yeah, and, and I think the fantastical parts of it kind of drew me away, drew me out of it. Really? Yeah. I'm not. I, not that I don't. I'm against fantastical stuff in movies, but I feel like as as I've gotten older, I've got grown a little bit less. Like it's. I don't know. I feel it's not needed for me anymore to you know uh, to understand or to enjoy something. 
And so in watching the movie, I think the fantastical aspects of it... Well, when you say fantastical, like, give me an example. So in the other world where... Or even in the real world, the way her parents are and the kind of the movements. I mean, a lot of it was the stop motion stuff, yeah. But it was like the father, the way his, his head would tilt and he would kind of do that thing with his head. and Or um, in, the, in the other world, the whole... Like when you were saying how they didn't have the spectacle of the neighbors in the other world i didn't need that in reading the book i actually got what he intended without having because i was looking for it i was curious to see how how would what he was going to write versus what was in the movie and so for me the spectacle or even the whole uh garden part with the dad in the garden or when she's trying to get the, the oh that's another thing that was not in the book yeah in fact, they made a point to say how the outside world was not really important in the other world. Uh, it was, and I think part of it is the fact that when I watched the movie, I did not think that it was written by Neil Gaiman. I just watched the movie <laughs> that was similar to originally in my mind to Nightmare Before Christmas. And in reading the book, knowing that it was written by Neil Gaiman and having read uh, Sandman, having read American Gods. Oh, you've read more than I have. <laughs> yeah, so I was able to take, like, I saw his his thumbprint on the book and on the characters and on the writing. Sure. Whereas I didn't necessarily, I saw aspects of it in the movie, but it was different. So in a way, it's almost like, whereas Nightmare Before Christmas, I enjoy it now, but I've learned to I've learned to enjoy it thanks to the ride at Disneyland. That's really where I started to appreciate it more. And then I've watched the movie. I've watched it, and I, now I watch it every Christmas. But in a way, it's you like, a very roundabout way of getting to yeah. liking something. And so, well, no, and it's a roundabout way to how you got to this to the two to the two adaptations. So it's like Nightmare for Christmas brought me to Coraline. Whereas I thought Neil, I brought you to Coraline. Well, yes, but <laughs> but it's like my understanding and appreciation of the two came in that direction. Sure, reading a lot of on my own um, classic fairy tales and some other older writings, and so I see where where he was coming at in regards to his writings from the darkness of classic fairy tales. Right. Whereas I didn't get that from the movie. For the movie, I got the Nightmare Before Christmas and all those other movies similar to it vibe coming at yeah but what do you mean by that in regards to how my mind saying it feels like nightmare for christmas but like what does that mean so in my mind when i watched the movie i did not have a preconceived notion of what i was gonna see sure except in what i had already seen prior to from his previous movie so nightmare before christmas clouded my brain as i'm watching Coraline and and fed into it Whereas on the book side, everything I've read by Neil Gaiman clouded my brain in coming into the book. So in many ways... Mm. You, had, you had prejudices. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Okay, well, here's a, here's a thought for you. Uh-huh. You're talking about how the Neil Gaiman book really did feel kind of like a modern fairy tale. Yes. And you're not the only one. A lot of people have said that, and that's kind of the point. A lot of fairy tales don't really explain a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's part of what's making it scary yeah. or interesting. It's like these things just happen. And and you're kind of like left to your own imagination, right? Mm-hmm. So then would you say that the movie fleshes it out more? No, because in some ways... <laughs> I almost had you. The movie, the movie is a little more disturbing, whereas the book is a little more 
terrifying. Yeah, but I think the the movie actually explains a lot more the mechanics. Like the movie actually yeah. explains how things are I, done. I, and and I, I think it, it comes back to modern audiences, especially when it comes to the visual medium, they need a little bit more because they're not getting the exposition, they need a little more to bring the the story to life in that in that medium. Sure. Whereas I mean it in, didn't need it. I think it added a lot I'm kind of being generous on what I'm saying. To it. Because in, in in the book, you don't get anything about YB and his grandmother and the fact that she had a missing sister. Which... And, and that hints early on in it what is to be expected. Yeah. So this is another another change between the two that I thought was... that and Maybe I'm reading more into it, but in a way I felt like the whole... The whole YB thing and his grandma, it, it added to the story. It added to a, a connection that was missing in the book. Whereas in the book, I think you, you hit on it earlier when you said, it, it, I can't remember how you put it, but it's it wasn't explained. It's right. a, lot, a lot more is left mysterious. Oh, a lot more. Yes. I think they even say in the book, you get a lot of impressions yes. in the book. And one of the things, and, and to be fair, I kind of like it, but I also don't because it felt like a throwaway to me. Mm was one of the last times she leaves the other world to go back to the real world. Mm-hmm. She talks about how it seems like um, the other world w- was kind of created by the other mother, but mm-hmm. was already there before she got there. Yeah. And that it's a part of like something more ancient and, and like even the other mother doesn't quite understand it and stuff. And like, it was interesting and I kind of liked it because it is creepy and it does tie into these greater ideas. Mm-hmm. But it also, like I said, felt like a throwaway because it was like, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> well, so, okay. I didn't think it was a throwaway because, so, did you read about who Neil Gaiman's, like his, when he was a kid, one of his favorite authors that really has been influential in ways? Who? Uh, C.S. Lewis. Okay. He loved the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. I mean, and, that makes sense. And so. Oh, I, I vaguely remember this, yeah. Okay. And so he is British. <laughs> yeah, no, and 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 he's he's wrestled a lot with 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 C.S. Lewis because once he found out C.S. Lewis was Christian and put kind of Christian messages in his books, why well, not really kind of did he? I was like pretty blatantly. He felt very betrayed when he, when he found that out, but at the same time, he's learned to accept it. And well, and, and there's a, a lot of people wrestling put, with it. Everybody put messages in their stuff. True, everybody's, true. Everybody's no, got a bias. I think a lot of people feel they you know they, they try to believe they they don't. But no, you're right. Everyone I believe puts a message yeah. of. Some I mean, sort. every movie, every book has a theme, mm-hmm. and that theme is pushing something. Oh yeah, no, I agree. And 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 what's interesting though is that. I mean, nobody wants to watch or read something that has no point of view. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. And I, I think it's it's a fallacy that a lot of contemporary thinkers have today that we can do things without having our own biases be in it. And we both agree that's not... Well, that's, that's something ridiculous. as history majors, they professors have basically said, yeah, everything you read will have some sort of bias. Mm-hmm. And I said, and that's fine. You just, you just accept that there is one and then you... You understand it and you work with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we see that. It's, I think it's in all field, most fields, uh, especially writing fields. Everybody has opinions. <laughs> yeah, and but with here, one of the things I think that really resonated, and I, and I kind of wondered if, if I don't think he did it on purpose, but it it brought back to memory the magician's nephew 
from the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh yeah, the depending on when you're reading it, the last or the first one. No, this would be the second to the last, if I remember right, in the order. It was number six because the last was the, was definitely the last battle. Well, well, because one's like a prequel, right? Technically, <laughs> this would yeah, this would have been the, the prequel. Yeah. It was either five or six. I can't remember. It gets confusing. But there was there were certain aspects that have that that ancient, unexplained. We don't understand where it's coming from, and and you get a lot of that in Neil Gaiman's writing, especially in in Sandman. I'm trying to remember. I think it's it's might be a little bit American Gods, but definitely in Sandman. I've been told I have to read Sandman. It's. I enjoy it at times, and then there's times when I'm just like, I need to take a break from it. Wasn't it a comic or something? It is a comic. I was gonna say, yeah. But it's that otherworldliness, sure. And that's that. F- I don't know if they could have properly translated that into the movie. So, like one of my favorite scenes in the book is when she's escaping. So, in the movie, well, let me actually preface it with talking about the difference. If you know, you guys haven't seen this yet, or listeners, in the please stop and now just go watch it. <laughs> actually, yes, we should always begin the show with a uh, spoiler warning. I mean, every time we, we do an episode, I always say the same thing. And it's it's always, if they're going to listen to an episode about something, they have to know there will be spoilers. And this movie's been out for a while. Yes. It's not like we're talking about a movie that came out yesterday. So in the movie, the connecting connector between the two worlds is, a like, is, like, a ti- is like a small little accordion tunnel. It looks like the inside of a, an accordion. Mm-hmm. I, and- I, I've... I thought it actually, especially. Yeah, I thought it looked kind of like um, an esophagus. <laughs> actually, interestingly, if, that you say that because the book version kind of also gives it later on a feeling that it's part of something yeah. that's alive and yeah. mysterious. But in the book, it's just a it's a hall or some a long corridor. Mm. And I like the part in the back. I mean, sorry, in the end of the book when she's ex- running, she gets the door shut. The other mother's on the other side. They're trying to get through. And she's feeling the walls, and she feels like first, like it feels kind of furry-ish, and then all of a sudden, the next thing, it feels like it's wet, like the, someone's like mm-hmm. someone's mouth, or like a sun esophagus. Yeah, yeah. and I remember there, she talks about how it seems like there are things out there, and she's too afraid to see if there are. Sort yeah, of thing. and they also talk about the they feel like at that point they also mention once again that 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 hall that corridor area is older and once again they say it's mm-hmm. older than even the other mother and so i i maybe because i've read a lot of literature and a lot of other uh like henry uh, what's his name lovecraft mm-hmm. and and he does a, i've read some of his stuff and they 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 hint at older darker deeper things yeah than what us you know humans are aware of but and they it's never hard go to into do detail. in films because films are so visual and that's why i i agree that in the movie in the film it was it was definitely well done i'm not gonna you know i don't think it was a bad movie i just like i'd the be way... upset if you thought it was a bad movie. no no well intro okay prior to this i i think when i first you said you really liked it when you watched it with me for the first I, time i was trying to remember how i felt after i watched it because i remember prior to watching it when we watched it i think i had only seen clips of it you didn't want to watch it and then i explained why it was good and then you said okay i want to watch it and then i showed it to you and you're like yeah that was good why did why did what what did you tell me i don't a lot of the stuff i told you like during the podcast like the stuff about like the symbolism and hamlet and other stuff because you think that's what i really like about the movie 
that's not in the book mm-hmm. is all the symbolism and the foreshadowing and and stuff that it's it's so infused in the movie that I think I think it was a good move because we've already said the the film is much more visual. Yeah. And the I would say the book is more visceral. Mm, that's a good way to put it. I I agree with you on that. And so because you can't get that visceral feeling, mm-hmm. you can flesh out the movie more with the symbolism and the exposition and and um, the, the metaphor and the all that stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I like that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that, I think that's why I think I, I tend to lean more these days towards visceral than I do visual. I think there's a time and a place for both. Yeah, as I've gotten older mm-hmm. well and it's it's an art form right you know you have to know how to work within the medium yeah and if i i, I think i don't know if i mentioned this before but i've my tastes have started to change a bit your taste buds <laughs> maybe actually when you get as you get older things yeah things the world starts changing but no my definitely my taste in art has changed and i find a lot of things that even 10 years ago while still okay, I'm not drawn to them as much. It's like I was telling my, my daughter the other day that I'm finding I'm I'm more interested in reading classical stuff, classic literature or... This is why we're friends. Yeah, yeah, it is. Whereas prior, actually, probably before I met you, we... Let's see. I was... Yeah, before I met you, almost all my reading would have been novels contemporary novels mm. and now there are some good ones there are some good ones yes i mean and to be fair in the past there are a lot of novels that nobody reads anymore because they weren't that great <laughs> no no that's true but i find like i told my i think i was talking to my mom recently and i said mom as i've gotten as i'm getting older i find i have less time <laughs> and yet you're reading more lengthy things yeah but i'm finding i not less time that i'm gonna die soon that's not what i'm saying but i'm finding less time of course yeah i'm looking at the future and I realized wow time is going really quickly and I'm very busy with a lot of stuff on my my plate so why am I going to waste time with novels that really are not going to impart anything whereas I'd rather finish Shakespeare finish reading the works of Shakespeare you know and experience other authors and one thing about this podcast I'm gonna have I will say is and even in some of our conversations we've had offline uh you've I will say you've opened my eyes to whole new worlds a whole new world <laughs> not, not, not that particular but um no i mean we've talked about like i never would have thought so of you of going to see an opera you know or a ballet prior to our conversation that that a couple that was what a year ago maybe yeah and so there's just so much more in this world and and over the summer i, t- I think we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks months ago actually now in ballet uh, there's ballet, but then also I've been reading on my own uh, Greek works and mm-hmm. other things like that. And so I will say for those who are listening to this podcast, we we will delve into things. And, and sometimes that's one of our hopes here. I will say, I just want to kind of reiterate is that we're going to be able to explore things that you may otherwise not have even known existed. We're your, we're your spark notes version. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> And hopefully this will encourage you to go yeah. out and, and listen and or watch and read. And so if you if we spoiled it for you, trust us. We're like just scratching the surface. Oh yeah, yeah. I, we 
if we wanted to cover everything, this would be five hours long. Yeah. In fact, when I was preparing for this podcast, I was reading at lunchtime at work, and a coworker walks up to me, and and I told her what I was reading and what for, and she she tells me, oh, there's a it's based on a book, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and I and I there's a lot of times I know where people like we even mentioned this in our in our. Pride and Prejudice was there. The people who had never read it the mm-hmm. book before, and we kind of I always surprisingly yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. So you say Jane Austen, they're like who? <laughs> Haven't met her. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else in the? I was just gonna say something from a visual standpoint. Mm-hmm. Something that I really enjoyed uh, about the movie. Is and you can see it in some of the behind the scenes stuff if you have the DVD or go on YouTube. Um, they they talk about building the world, and one of the things they did is they really tried to show a difference between the real world and the other world. And one of the things they did is they made the real world feel really like dull and um, like all the colors have been like seeped out of it. And but they wanted to make it feel really flat, and they wanted the feeling of going to the other world to feel like you're really entering into another magical place. And so what they did is they kind of built, they built essentially two different literal worlds. And so in the real world, they built everything to literally look flat. Like the backgrounds behind the houses and stuff are just like matte paintings and the house itself is not even fully three-dimensional. And it just kind of felt like like a simple layer upon layer. But then when they went to the, the other world with the other mother, and it was more enticing and interesting and magical at first, it was completely 3D and colorful. And, and I just thought that was a really interesting choice. Yeah, that's not something from the book. I know in the book they do mention... The only time I think... I, 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 the only time I remember color is in the last one of the last two chapters when she wakes up and it says that she for the first time she really saw the sky mm. or maybe she was actually maybe when she was going for a walk to the well I can't remember but it, it mentioned the, the the thing of the aspect of color but in a movie that would be something you're able to expound on that you really have a harder time doing literally right, or, yeah. literally yeah, and, and Coraline, the movie especially, but the book, the book does it for sure, but the movie, I think, exaggerates this, really draws on a lot of like ancient storytelling, like with the fairy tales, and, mm-hmm. and it hints at a lot of other things. Like in, in the book, it's more obvious, um, but... I they, think the, the ghost. Oh, yeah. The ghost makes it obvious that the third, the third girl who was like a fairy, almost, she had wings. Oh, yeah, in the book, it was, it was kind of weird. Yeah, and, and and so this is my take on that. That's where I, when I go back to going back to what I was saying earlier about there being a wider world and other worlds out there, or a time before time, you know. And I think even hints at one point that this this one girl is I don't know if she quite predates humans, but she's from a, <laughs> she's the earliest of the of the three children. And I think in the movie, that's the one they turn into the grandmother sister. Um, it looked, there's like, <laughs> it's funny because Coraline, she describes them in the movie mm-hmm. and she says, there was one that looked like a little rascal and, and there was one that looked like Huck Finn Jr. <laughs> yeah. 
The other thing, one of the other things I noticed was, uh, or I wondered why they changed it was, why in the movie were they hunting for their eyes, even though it was just one circle, whereas in the book it was the souls. I think it hints that it's the soul in the movie, and in the book it does say that they are looking for the eyes. In the book? Yeah. No, they're hunting for their souls. It doesn't say that. Uh. Uh-uh. Well, I think I think they just they in the movie I think it hints that by sewing on the buttons to their eyes that is like what clinches her taking their souls. It. And so I think it just expanded on that idea. I wondered about that because I know I read someone. That's how I always about, perceived it. Well, they, yeah, someone had talked about how you know that old saying: "The eyes are the window to the soul." Yes, that's exactly yes. Sewing up their eyes, she kind of trapped their souls yes, from being yes. able to go to heaven or uh, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Little Van Gogh heaven. Yes. <laughs> you know what I did like though is that was really interesting. Again, from a visual standpoint, is in in the movie when she first encounters the ghosts she um when you see the ghosts Mm -hmm. obviously they look like ghosts because they're see-through and they float and they're like white but they are mono express expressive i guess i should say yeah they only express in one expression at a time each time you see them Mm. and so like sometimes they have a really horrified look on their face where their mouths are just gaping open and other times they look really sad um but they're still talking. Mm. And so you hear them talking, but their mouths aren't moving. And that alone is just really disturbing. Mm-hmm. And then when they finally have their souls back and they're free, they're actually fully fleshed out. And like you can see them expressing. And, and I thought that was just a really interesting artistic choice that someone had to come up with. In the movie, when she's closing the door at the very end, when the hand gets... Right. Uh, did the ghosts help her as they did in the book? I know they didn't really help her, but they gave her strength. Was that in the movie? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. It's very that quick. Part. It's very quick. Okay. I think in the book, I think she asks for help. I think in the movie, they just do it. Okay. Yeah. One, another interesting thing is, I think, again, I said the movie kind of expanded a bit, is that it really. It, it really took the idea of sewing the buttons and it ran with it more. Mm hmm. In, and in the in the book, the other mother, you get the idea that she's getting worse and more monstrous. Mm-hmm. We don't really see much of a transformation in the book because she's already kind of creepy. Yeah. You just get the idea that her hair is like almost like Medusa-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at points, um, and it gets worse. But in the movie, you see she looks like, like a perfected version of her mom. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the movie, she slowly gets... A little creepier, a little bit more bug-like. Yeah. Until halfway through the movie, when Coraline basically has infuriated her because she's not listening and 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 whatever, and then she just transforms like right in front of her, which is really cool because you have to remember this is stop motion animation, and they had to come up with a way to transform that puppet. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, <laughs> that is not easy. Um, and then by the very end of the movie, they really fully emphasize. This idea that she's very spider-like, yeah, and that and the, and it it really emphasized the climax scene where she's trying to escape the other mother, where she tricks the other mother, and the other mother literally turns the floor into like a giant spider web. 
Yeah, that was made more a lot more explicit. I know in the book it was the hints were thrown everywhere, even when you first meet her, all the way to just dead spiders. Whether she when she was locked in behind the the mirror, or when she went to the other apartment where the father was in the cellar, and she sees the cat-sized spider dead in the tub, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that that I I felt in the movie. Well, in both of them, but I, I I saw them very differently. Is almost that she was a like a different creature, almost almost to the point of being a primordial god, lowercase g. In which version? Both. Oh, okay. But just it was different in each, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. I think it came out a little bit more in the book. So coming from American Gods and sure, Sandman, sure, she came across as a a lot more. Greek, what's the word? A, a a type of Greek god, fallible, you know, powerful but not all powerful. Mm-hmm. With like a demigod. Yeah, kind of. Where there there is a way to defeat her. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so it's Zeus it's, has impregnated millions of women. <laughs> <laughs> she could be another one of Zeus's children, for all yes. we know. But it it's. And I think what even lends to that in both of them is you get the sense that her power is coming from eating these children, mm-hmm. which is a, a very ancient archetype for right, yeah, you know, for evil, if you will, or at least for darkness. And you definitely get the idea in the movie a little bit more that if she doesn't eat Coraline, that she might like die away. Mm-hmm. I think it's hinted at in the book the movie kind of pushes it a bit more yeah especially she's losing her power as as Coraline is finding the yeah well she's losing her power as she's finding the eyes but she's she's getting tired and the world is slowly starting to fall apart the longer Coraline refuses to sew buttons under her eyes yeah I think the movie gave her more godlike powers than the book did. Yes, like she definitely has more powers in in, in the movie. Yes, because yeah. in the movie she's able to transform. She makes herself look really like a cleaner, a, a prettier version of the mom. And that's what I liked about the movie is in the movie she really feels like her main thing is deception. Mm-hmm. She's a master of deception in the film. Yeah. And, and it's reflected in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing in the <clears throat> world is what it seems. Yeah, no, I, I felt in the book it, it was definitely more of an archetype of a of an ancient primeval god. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's what was interesting, too, is every time you see the other mother, especially once she, like, majorly transforms, mm-hmm. she still is changing. You, you, you get the idea that the last time you see her that that's what she actually looks like. Mm-hmm. But even still, you're not even sure maybe that's what she is because you find out she's basically made up of like sewing materials, like needles, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not in the book. I, I kind of like that because it, it, it does fit into the idea of sewing the buttons on. Yeah. And I think it's funny because I've actually seen in an interview, I saw, I saw an interview with Neil Gaiman where he said one of the questions he gets all the time to this day is, why buttons for eyes mm-hmm. and he said essentially i wish i could tell you i don't remember why <laughs> <laughs> and he said i'm sure i wrote it down at some point i lost the paper and i don't remember i mean honestly it's just the creepy 
It just gives you the whole creepy... Yeah, it just seems like it's haunted him all these years because people ask him all the time and he's like, I don't know anymore. (laughs) I can see. I mean, honestly, it it might have just been something where it just came to his mind at one moment and there might not be a deeper reason for it. (laughs) I don't know. I just like the idea of kind of expanding on it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and this is another visual thing I thought was really interesting. I still don't... I Okay, I can... I think I know why. But in the book... It hints that her parents and them were in a car accident, and that's why the mom is wearing a um, neck brace in the real world. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons why they did that, one, is it limits the mom, Mm -hmm. but it also makes it so she's more irritable. Oh, okay. Like, it gives you permission to, it gives her permission to be more irritable and kind of mean. Mm-hmm. because she's kind of in pain and stuff right yeah and you just kind of subconsciously think that because mm-hmm. as soon as you know someone's in pain i think you give them a lot more patience mm-hmm. um whereas if they're clearly healthy and fine like it's like what the heck what's your problem woman you know <laughs> but um <laughs> the what i really thought was interesting is in the movie they when she goes to the other world mm-hmm. they don't have her wearing the neck brace it's a turtleneck that's right yeah but it looks similar enough to the neck brace that Mm -hmm. it fits the silhouette and everything that's true but they did a few things like they shaped up her nose better like Mm -hmm. her nose looks better in the other world and she's definitely more stylish i just thought it was interesting because it's like slowly transitioning Coraline into the other world Mm -hmm. i just thought that was really clever yeah Uh, and there was something else i read too where it was a criticism of the book and one of the criticisms was that the book uh did not really give Coraline a choice no yeah no no it actually i feel like when i read the book it felt like she did not have a lot of agency mm-hmm. it felt because it, again it happened very quickly it, she kind of goes to the world she's there and then she like rejects it and then kind of goes home but then it's like well i guess i gotta go back yeah but in the movie she goes to the other world. They introduce the idea that she can transfer back and forth through sleeping. Yeah, that was not in the book. Not in the book, no. I mean, there's different reasons why they did that, but they introduced that concept, and and it works really well because it gives the idea, first of all, is this actually happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and so when she first goes to the other world, it's this very... She doesn't quite trust it at first, obviously, but it's just very over-glorified, very interesting, very fun place. And it's not really... It hints that it could be threatening, but it's really not threatening the first time she goes. It's more enticing, just a little off-putting. The second time she goes, it's even more exciting. But you can you can see it's even more fantastical. And they're really trying to draw her in. And, and she's going back and forth between the real world, the fake world. And it's constantly... like Every time she goes to the real world and there's something she doesn't like, it automatically is a better version of it in the other world. And then when she goes back, finally, when she rejects sewing the buttons on, and she finally is like, no, 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 I'm not staying here. I'm going to go back to the real world. Um, that's like when she, again, like in the book, she finds out her parents are missing. I think it makes more sense in the movie because in the book, it's just like, where did they go? Whereas in the other one, it's like, well, they were out, but they haven't come home yet. And... 
and like why have they not come home yet and then she well it's explained realizes... in the book that that her parents were out because the dad had gone to london her mom had gone yeah, shopping in the movie it shows it yeah like, whereas it was kind of just told to you in the book yeah and then the, and then she comes to the realization they were kidnapped mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah no and and in the book too like that that was one of the i i i, I can see well let me, everything let me in the movie this. was foreshadowed <clears throat> to be fair they had the book as a resource yeah but everything in the movie was foreshadowed like they foreshadow really early on a couple of times the fact that her parents spoiler are inside the snow globe yeah and that's not foreshadowed at all in the book it's just like oh they're in some place cold oh they're in the snow globe that mm-hmm. was never there <laughs> but in the movie it's when they're unpacking yeah. she puts the snow globe on the mantle the couple times she's in her parents' room, you see there's a picture of them at the zoo they got the snow globe at. Yeah, the snow globe was not something that was part of the real world in the book. But no, the the <clears throat> one of the complaint I read was how in the book there was no triumph in a way. There mm. was no win. It was just she had a duty to do and she did it. Mm, yeah. Whereas that makes sense. Yeah, in the book in the movie it was a choice. Did she want to stay in this perfect world, <clears throat> which which she would have everything, versus the world that she really didn't care for at that in the beginning? Right. Yeah. And so in the movie, I mean, sorry, in the book, but I, I think in the book it was also it was also tied into that story about her dad and the wasps. Yeah, which came very abruptly. Yeah. And so the whole thing about what is bravery. How it's not brave that she's going to go save her parents. She just yeah. has to do it. And in some ways, I felt that was the traditional fairy tale moral aspect of the book. Well, I mean, it did hint that it was brave because they did say it wasn't bravery like running from them the first time. It was brave going back knowing it was going to hurt. Yes, yes. And, well, wait. Th- yes, yeah, for the dad. Yeah, but when they're talking about the wasps, when they're talking about the wasps, but when she said that she was going to go back to save them, she was talking to the cat. She basically said that it's not brave of her that she's going back to save them. She just has to go do that. Yeah, it's just her duty. And I'm I very British. <laughs> yeah, in some ways it is, and and I, I I personally appreciated the that abrupt moral that was thrown in, and in, and in a way because I've had a lot of conversations with various people, especially my daughter, in regards to duty, honor things that are no longer looked highly upon in our contemporary society now I mean, there can be negative things to it but there are yo no no and, no i i agree with and you. we've had we've had have had deep conversations with people on the positives and the negatives of the two but how we don't have to we don't have to jettison something just because it's old-fashioned or because there that's are the negatives way our, that's, but that's the way people in general work for all time yeah and so kind of with those ideas, those are some of the things that to me I appreciated in, in the in the novel aspect. But the movie goes the traditional contemporary route where she has a moral choice. I mean, this is also in other writings past too as well. It's but, also just very interesting to watch a character make these choices. Yeah. I think it's it it adds to the medium, especially of a of a feature film where she has to make those decisions of what is right and what is wrong versus the British duty <laughs> and doing your duty, you know. And even along that, where he talks, the, young, the boy tells her at the end, 
that to be wise, be brave, be tricky, or good fortune and wisdom and courage, and they tell her she already has that in abundance. I thought that was very British. I will say, from the get-go, when I first watched this movie, I was really excited that Don French and Jennifer Saunders were Miss Spink and Miss Forcible in the movie. Because I think they're amazing. I don't know who they are. They're British comedians. Okay. They've been in a lot of different things. Um, They're a comedy duo. They've been around since the 80s. (laughs) Um... Oh man, they're 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 just funny. But um, Jennifer Saunders was uh, in um, Muppet Treasure Island. I never saw it. Oh, that's sad. Anything after the third Muppet movie, which was the third one, was the last one with Jim Henson. I never watched. Are you talking about Muppets Take Manhattan? Yeah, <laughs> that was the last one I saw. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. They're, I don't know. I, I, I've always liked them. I think they're amazing and they're funny. Um, and they play Miss Pink and Miss Forcible, respectively. But when they were cast originally, they were switched. And that's partly why, if you know what the actresses look like, Miss mm-hmm. Pink and Miss Forcible kind of look a little bit like who they were originally cast as before they switched the roles. Oh, okay. Did you find what you were looking for? Yeah, it was regarding achievement and loss. It's when she gets her, it, when it's the idea of when she, she hurt herself, she scraped her knee, she got the cuts, and she talks about how there's uh, sometimes when you get wounds that mean nothing and because you failed, and, and there's nothing that comes from it. Mm. And so they're wounds with the loss, they don't mean much. And then there's uh, the wounds where you get where you actually, they're battle scars. And here it was, it's it's... The other thing I think I liked, and they really emphasized it more in the movie, is because in the you, you said this in the book she does everything by herself, but in the animated or the the movie version, it's not really is it animated? Would that be considered animated? No, it is an animation. Okay, it's just stop motion. Animation. So in the the feature film version, <laughs> she she gets help from other YB and, and the other father and the other father and the cat yeah. and you you and the well in the book she's helped by the cat too. Mm-hmm. You get the idea in the book that the other father doesn't like what he's doing and that he wishes he could help her. Yeah. But he can't. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, they just choose to eventually like kind of redeem him a bit. Mm-hmm. And I like I did like that aspect in the movie about how versus the book where she had to rely on the other uh the cat at different times, YB, other YB at a couple of times, even even real YB at the end, in order to succeed in the ultimate mm-hmm. goals. But Henry Selig did say that he wanted to make sure in the end it was Coraline who triumphed. Even though she got the help from YB, mm-hmm. he wanted to show that she could do it. Yeah. Like she needed the help, but she could do it still. And that's something I think... So I I, I know a lot of people who don't like to ask for help. <laughs> so anytime I see the message of it's okay, sometimes you need it. It's not a bad message. It's, it's, I would. It's a good message. <laughs> Let me help you. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean. I mean. I, I know people who, even myself, at times, I'm reluctant to ask for help or to ask for you know, ask other people. 
just because I don't want to inconvenience mm-hmm. or I don't want to bother. And I think too often you see that you see that in, in like in the Harry Potter books where he doesn't want to ask anyone for help and he just wants to go to undo it on his own. <laughs> Harry is literally like his worst enemy. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, and that's one thing where I will say I appreciate it in the movie, even though she's the one who had to triumph in the end because it was her journey. She still needed the assistance. Well, and I think that's that says a lot in the movie for her character because from the get-go she does not like YB. Yeah. And she thinks she likes the other YB because he doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. The other mother, and this is what's creepy about the movie, is the other mother quote-unquote fixed him. Yeah. So that he does not talk. That was, yeah. And, um, and then she gets angry because he's not happy and he's not smiling. Mm-hmm. And so she like sews up his smile so that he has to smile. Yeah, that was all stuff I loved for the movie. That was added for the movie. But even deeper than that, she had to. She even received assistance from Mister Bobo and Miss Ms. Forcible and Miss Miss Spink and Forcible. Yeah. Yes. See, um, in the book, she kind of goes to visit them. I think she technically goes to visit them twice. Um, in the book, like in the movie, mm-hmm. but in in the book, the first time she goes to see Miss Bink Enforceable, they automatically give her the stone that'll show her what she needs to see. Yeah. In the movie, it's the second time she goes to see them. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like it worked better for continuity that she gets it the second time. I could, yeah, I guess I I could see that. I didn't like the whole making it a taffy thing. That was weird, but. Whatever, at least she got it. She got the stone. <laughs> I, I, you know, what's funny is I never thought it was made out of taffy. I always thought it was like in the taffy. I, I got the impression they did the taffy thing so that they could destroy it in the movie, because in the book she keeps it till the end and then gives it back to them. Mm. In the movie, the other mother destroys it. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of why I figured the rationale behind the two of it was. To make it more... I did like that in the movie, though, because it does raise the stakes that the the mother found it and has destroyed it. And the book doesn't really say... Like, she never even... The only time it mentions the other mother having a reaction is when she puts her hand in her pocket. Coraline puts her hand in her pocket and, and grips the stone. And the other mother has her hand on her shoulder. And she says... And the book says that she removed her hand as soon as she gripped the stone. Other than that one mention of it that I can think of, it doesn't really bring the two together like it does in the movie. Whereas the mm-hmm. other in the movie, she recognizes it as a talisman and hence the destruction of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think it did a good job of making it make sense that Miss Bink and Forcible give it to Coraline. Mm-hmm. I think the movie really leaned into this idea because they're actresses that they're very superstitious which is like a cliche for actors but yeah um it it gave this idea of like um don't wear green in your dressing room and and buy a very tall stepladder you know and all this stuff (laughs) that's true and and all the things that they talk about in the movie it really it makes sense that they would have or would be able to fabricate something like this for her yeah in the in the book it felt really random like oh here you go yeah, I, I agree with you on that. It was just the tea leaf thing. Mm-hmm. And then that was a little bit different in the book because in the, they didn't disagree. I see a giraffe. Yeah, in the <laughs> movie, she didn't see it. But yeah, 
And then I don't remember them having the tea leaf piece at the end where they see the hand. They did not see... That wasn't in the movie. No, they saw it in the movie. Did they? Yeah. Okay, I just don't remember that part. And, and in the, the first time that Coraline's in the other world after she's had dinner and they talk about go playing a game. Uh-huh. And she says, hide and go seek. And she says, in the rain. And she's like, but it's not raining. And the lightning strikes. The lightning at one point makes the shape of a hand. Oh, I didn't. And understand. it's the hand that she sees in the cup. Oh, I didn't didn't mm-hmm. catch that. I mean, ultimately, it's the other mother's hand. Yeah. Um, and it makes a couple different appearances in the film. Um, but that's a very quick um, nod and foreshadow. And the ending was drawn out in the book. A little yes, bit longer. Yes, it was. <laughs> Which, I, was like, I was like, it's done. Let's move on. Well, I... I, I appreciated the creepiness of it of her hearing it at night and knowing it was there and mm-hmm. it's that whole the suspense of knowing it's there but she's not can't really do anything about it at that time until she finally comes up with her her plan so but no i i like i said i appreciate aspects of the movie i appreciate the movie for what it is and i appreciate the changes mm. but i still have my preference it's fine <laughs> you're allowed to be wrong <laughs> <laughs> so anything else? I mean, I get what you're saying. I get it. It's fine. Anything else? I don't know. I can't think Before of anything. I'm. We're gonna end it, and I'm gonna think of a million things. I know. I so so okay. On a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. book and movie. What do you think? Ten's the best. Combined? No, no, no. Individually. Individually. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm. Again, the criteria is different, but... For a being a... Ch- okay. Rating it as a children's book. Which it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Mine had really cool illustrations. You had a special edition, didn't you? I had a new edition, yes. Yeah. I have a... Had a and, it headed forward by Neil Gaiman. Oh, did it? Yeah, and he basically was like, I love these illustrations. <laughs> it's funny because he's really dark, but he's also like really... F- friendly and funny mm. like any and he's got like that really um like low energy type of vibe mm-hmm. similar to tim burton but whereas tim burton is just weird and creepy neil game is like you look creepy but you also seem like i'd love to hang out with you that's funny i will give the book like a... let's say let's, let's say 10 is oh my god it's my favorite book yeah. and one is I really don't want to read this ever again. I would say I'll give the book a a nice seven. Mm. Wow, you kind of sung the praises of the book, though. That's interesting. I'm having a hard time rating children's books. That's a solid That's why. C. <laughs> okay, I was wavering between a seven and an eight. No, it's too late. Seven, it is. But I don't feel it's okay. It's movie, moving all on. All the movie. way up there. <laughs> so movie. Not rating them against each other, mm-hmm. I'll give the movie a six. Okay. You, when you're not comparing? You're not comparing. Really? Yes. Wow. I probably will not watch the movie again unless really? you can give me another reason uh, to rewatch it for more okay. artistic Well, purposes. before I give you my answers, I thought of something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there were a lot of things in the book that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like, 
in 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 the, in the in the book when she puts Coraline behind the mirror and then she meets the other ghosts mm-hmm. and stuff, and then she ends up like pulling her back out, like it's the other mother that does that. Yeah, and and there's just a lot of things like that. And again, I can't remember every single thing, but in the movie, it's the other YB that saves her. He reaches in and he pulls her out, mm-hmm. and the other mother is like, "What's going on?" And, and then now they're rushing to get away from the other mother. Mm-hmm. Whereas it felt really weird and kind of forced in the book. And it was, it was kind of like, they, it almost felt like she was thrown in there only to meet the ghosts. Because mm-hmm. um, she wasn't even in there for very long. Whereas in the movie, she's saved by the other YB. And then he, she has to rush out of there before the other mother gets downstairs. So you're saying it was it felt forced that she was put in there in the book in the book because because the other mother's the one that takes her back out again excuse me and not even that long after she'd been in there I remember she put her in there it had to do with manners but I don't remember what yeah it the line was the movie it made a lot more sense for the motivation for a lot of the scenes hmm. and it felt like the movie was really building mm-hmm. whereas the book kind of felt a little random which works for the tone I guess but. I feel like the movie really fit with the the momentum and the motivation. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I can see what, what you're saying. I, I didn't feel that way when I was reading it. It made sense as I was reading it, but I, I get what you're what you're what you see. Yeah. Well, because think about it this way: in the book, the other mother is always creepy, and she's always a little not real. Like they say from the get go, she has like claw like hands, mm-hmm. um, and. She kind of gives Coraline a few different interesting things in the other world to make her want to stay. Um, but then, like, she's, she gets upset with her because she doesn't want to sew the buttons on. And then she kind of, like, throws her into the, the room. And then she meets the other ghost. And she pulls her back out. And she's like, okay, are you fine now? Are you going to listen or whatever? And then it... Um, I don't remember how she gets out. I just remember it felt really random. But in in the movie, how version, she gets out of the of the mirror? No, no. no how she goes home and she finds all her parents are missing. In the book, they they let her go home back the first time. Yeah, that, that was weird. But in the movie, she they, they obviously they made changes. But in yeah. the movie, she goes the first time to the other world to see the other mother, and it seems very amazing and it's it's very enticing and um, it's kind of like pr- the perfected version like i said of the real world mm-hmm. um and then she goes to sleep and she wakes up and it was like oh was this a dream that kind of sucks but okay and then she ends up going again mm-hmm. and and it's even bigger now and it's more interesting and she sees the neighbors and the cool things they're doing and um she's getting things that she couldn't get in the real world and um i think she goes to sleep again mm-hmm and then she's frustrated because she didn't want to go home. And it's building, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, it's like the final straw. Like her mom made her really upset. And I kind of liked it because in the, in the movie, it kind of humanizes the mom a bit more. Because mm. you can see that the mom is like actually kind of trying. Yeah. And she kind of feels bad and that she wants to like help out Coraline and be there for her. But like she almost doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. And I like how in the movie, in the end of the movie, she ends up getting her the gloves that she wanted anyways. Yeah. Um, which is not in the book, I think. But uh, Frog boots in the book. Yeah, but, but it felt really random, I felt like, in the book. 
But from um, boots. Well, it's because it didn't it didn't really come from anything. Like she didn't. Yeah, when they went shopping, she wanted the frog boots, and then her mom said no. She just kind of ignored her. Oh, okay. I just in the movie there was like the whole conversation between her and her mom, mm-hmm. where she was really pushing back onto her mom, like she hates it here, and and the mom's just like, well, you gotta give it a try. And... She was more whiny in the book. I mean, sorry, in the movie. Um, and anyways, um, and so then when she finally chooses to go back to the other world, mm-hmm. that is when she ultimately learns that she has to sew the buttons on. But it's only after she's made the choice. To like want to go and stay and it's during the daytime this yeah day. and that means and but that that also goes back to what we were saying earlier about the movie gave her a choice yeah, yeah. Of, of but but i'm leading up to like the other mother's transformation and stuff in the movie because what happens is when she says no i don't want to sew the buttons under my eyes and the other mother is kind of taken aback and she's like i'm gonna go to sleep and she's like oh, oh okay and she goes to sleep and she wants to go back to the real world, but she doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so now the stakes are raised a bit more and she sneaks back downstairs and she can't get into where the other door is to go home. Yeah. And she starts realizing that like the other mother is really a controlling this world and things are really not as they seem and things are bad. And she then meets the cat and she starts talking to the cat who she realizes can talk and... She realizes that the other mother like eats the kids and stuff like just this you're learning more and more um and then she ends up i think is that when she goes around the world i can't remember but she ends up going back inside and she like breaks open the door mm-hmm. and um she finally meets the other mother again and she like the other mother like eats the chocolate with the chocolate cocoa beetle yeah and the room looks really creepy and insect like and um, again, it's just getting creepier and creepier. We're building. And then when she basically tells the other mother, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And the other mother gets really angry and tells her to apologize. And she says no. And then she does that countdown. Mm-hmm. And then she transforms into like the really creepy stepmother. Yeah. That is when she throws her into the mirror. And she's like, you can come out when you've learned to be a loving daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, you get the idea that she's just going to keep her in there. Right? Mm-hmm. And then she's eventually, like I said, pulled out by the other YB. And you, you you learn more and more that the other mother is just really sinister and that she's controlling this. And, and then when he helps her escape and she gets back to the real world, you get the sense like she has to or else she'll never get back to the other world. And then she finally realizes her parents are missing and she eventually learns her parents had been kidnapped. And partly the way she figures that out is because of the ragdoll and then she goes and she sees them in the mirror like in the book but then that's when she makes the choice to go back yeah and i feel like i think in the movie it just really works really well with the momentum and and the yeah like i was saying pacing and 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 momentum and book i mean the the two are very different because they're two different mediums because but they don't have to be no but i i feel there are certain aspects of the book that are very British, <laughs> and so and, and and even like it goes back to to what I was saying earlier, where where you you're you're coming at it from the movie first, book second. Well, so are you. I am, but not really, because remember how I was saying that the I came at both of them very differently. Like when I read the book, for some reason the movie wasn't foremost in my mind, mm. 
and this is why the only thing that stuck with me was the cat because even when with her the rationale with throwing her into that tiny room behind the mirror i had this kind of it's that irrational emotional outburst of a lesser god is kind of how i in my mind i was thinking about it or even the whole idea of letting her go was kind of that horror aspect of Mm -hmm. sure go home you know you'll be back just Mm -hmm. wait you see what we've done or what i've done and then it, it comes in i think the 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 timing and pacing and everything works better in the movie mm-hmm. for for a movie version of it but i didn't mind it in the book the way it was written personally uh, it, they were different they were different and they and and this kind of goes back to this whole i think i whereas a lot of people they they write about or talk about having a horror or terror aspect coming from the movie i just never got that maybe because it was the fantastical fantastical aspects of it it's kind you of didn't like find it scary not really it's it's kind yeah, of like find, saying did i find <laughs> well keep in mind i'm also watching it as an adult still I, it's I got didn't creepy watch it moments movie. like literally the part where the mom the other mother is screaming at her from behind the locked door after she's escaped it's creepy and it's like closing in up on her no no i'm not gonna say there's not creepy aspects of it but it's it's creepy fantastical versus well it's a horror fantasy that's that's what it is yes and that's why i don't i just don't find it as terrifying as some people do whereas with the book i was able to get that sense of of terror a little a lot more than i was in the movie in the movie i think i i was the fantastical aspects take me away take me out of it a little bit more hmm you're too practical. You're too science. You're too scientific. Yes, actually, yeah. No, is, that, I think that's why you love the book version of the Rats of Me. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I have to agree with you on that, and it goes back to my whole vanilla and chocolate versus mm. Cold Stone. I don't like Cold Stone. I know. Boomer. <laughs> I'm not quite that old, but um, do you like Cold Stone? I'm curious. I don't know. I, I it's too expensive for me. No, but just I, taste wise. Sure. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't like all that. It's too much. It's a little rich. Yes. But I like it. But my favorite is cake batter and Reese's peanut butter cups. See, that's too much for me. Give me either just cake batter or just Reese's peanut mm. butter cups and ice cream. I'm good. And I think that kind of goes with the movie is that I enjoy it, but I'm going to usually choose something that's a little bit more cerebral. Mm. Not to say that the movie's lowbrow, but Professor I'm just saying. X. What's up? Professor X. Yes. Got it. Got it. So, no. no. I I like the movie because it really touches on a lot of themes beyond itself and, like, with the Shakespeare. Yes. And, and, um, oh, no. He did, he did a good job. Okay. Maybe I'm being disingenuous and giving it a six. Maybe I I could raise it up to a seven when I look at what the, when I look at the foreshadowing. You know what? I'll need to sit down and rewatch it again. (laughs) We can do that. Yeah. But I, I, because we'll do it right now. When you're mentioning some of this stuff, I, it, it does bring it up to higher than some of the other yeah. stuff I've watched lately. And, and in all fairness, Henry Selleck has on record said, I know you said earlier you didn't like some of the outlandish like movements and stuff. Mm-hmm. He has said, he has learned, if you try to make anything like in that medium, specifically stop motion, but even like, like CGI or in 2D animation, mm-hmm. like traditional animation, if you try to make it as realistic as possible it will really emphasize the things that are not realistic. Hmm. And so if you create the world a little unrealistically or where the proportions are a little larger than life 
um, where the characters like really wouldn't look like that in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, you're exaggerated a little bit. It really suspends your disbelief more so that you can take in the fantastical. Okay. And I, I wouldn't say I, it, I disliked it. It just lessens the horror for me. It, it softens it for me. Sure. But I, but I think the biggest difference is in the book, because again, the medium, it's more of that fear of the unknown. Yeah. Oh, definitely. In the definitely. movie, there is a little bit of that, but I think what the movie handles well is it gives you enough exposition and information to hint early on mm-hmm. the creepy stuff so that you as an audience member are privy to scenes and elements that Coraline is not and it makes it creepy because you know what she's walking into at times. Mm. I, I'll be honest, I'm kind of curious. I can, Unfortunately, I, will, I can't answer this question, but I'm curious as to how I would have appreciated it as a child. Mm. Whether I would have thought... Or been, even a teenager. Or even a teenager, yeah. Because I, I think back to some of the movies I watched and the, the main things that freaked me out as a kid were usually anything suspenseful. Mm. Not... Coraline was really creepy when I was a kid. Okay, yeah. I I I'm, I unfortunately can't go back in time and check, test that. Oh no. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's I I was maybe being a bit just disingenuous then, so I I probably would watch it again just for research purposes' sake. Mm. But I probably will not put it on my rewatch once a year list. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is this isn't usually the case, mm-hmm. but from everything I've seen including Neil Gaiman apparently everyone loved working on the movie that's cool like literally everybody loved working on that movie wow and, and like to this day like they'll like they've done interviews with people who had worked on the movie mm-hmm. and like 10 15 years later now yeah and and they're still gushing over it that's cool yeah like Terry Hatcher <laughs> is like fangirling over her own movie basically wow yeah she's got like tons of props and like merchandise and stuff and she loves to show it off hmm. and she, there's a youtube video where neil gaiman i think it was during covid neil gaiman and terry hatcher they did a, a video together in their own homes mm-hmm. and they're just talking to each other about the experience yeah. and they both just thoroughly loved it like they were so on board huh. <laughs> it was like the most wholesome thing i've ever seen that's funny. And I I, have to look I feel like I've never seen another production except I guess maybe Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Where people have been that ecstatic about a project they were working on. Yeah. Well, yeah, most of the time I think they just it's just a job for or something they've done once it's over, they're ready to move on. Mhm. But it says a lot then. It does say a lot for if it, if the actors and actresses in it were able to hold on to memories and yeah. go back like that. So I think it says a lot about Neil Gaiman too. Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot about his character that he's not one of those people that is just like you're ruining my peace, mm. like you're changing things. Yeah, because he even on record has said he's like, oh yeah, I'm firmly aware that my book is like a hundred pages, and if you make that into a movie, that movie is going to be like thirty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> and so he's and so he's like, I love what they did. Yeah. <laughs> So I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. It comes across in, in in his writing to some degree where I've never met him, but he doesn't come across pretentious. No. No, no, no. He's knowledgeable. He definitely is knowledgeable. Oh, oh yeah. He's got but a he's not pretentious. Because yeah. I, I, I know I read somewhere, I think it was actually a review by Philip Pullman. 
Mm. And I find Philip Pullman comes across as pretentious. There's a lot of people too. <laughs> yeah. James Cameron. <laughs> yeah. And so I I've, I think that's why I've been drawn. Even though Neil Gaiman's work is very... There's something missing in his underlying message, which I think is in a lot of art today. His mediums are basically the human humanity's search for something deeper, mm. something bigger. And the ultimate villain for Neil Gaiman is death. Mm, interesting. I, I felt. And, and you see this even here where... It, it seems for him it's less about the answers and more about the pursuit. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And, 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 I, and I even feel like there's no real... Like he's not trying to get across a message. He's not trying to get his... Like there is, there is an underlying message. Like we said at the beginning of this podcast, everyone has an underlying message. But his message is the journey and how we handle the journey it's what's that um joseph campbell the hero's journey i mean that kind of comes across in some of his writings mm-hmm. a little bit and you see that with with even here and even in the movie where it's it's she has to be the one to defeat the other mother it was her journey and i and i i i resonate with that you know i know i think a lot of us a lot of people do where it's more letting us know that the the things we face in life i'm not trying to get all deep here but yeah, but that there oh, is please, you know please. you know but yeah but no it, it's this idea that there's a lot of unknowns there's a lot of things and, and i one of the things i find too is i had this another conversation recently with someone who we were talking about about faith issues and 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 our religious beliefs and and they were throwing up a lot of arguments and a lot of the arguments were i saw them for what they were they were straw man arguments mm. And I realized it was more, and they were using the idea of, oh, well, until I get an answer to this question, I don't know if I could pursue that. And, oh, yeah. And I find that, and, and he's... It's kind of a cop-out. It is. And I find that, especially with intellectuals in their 20s and 30s sometimes, they you find that where they have to have an answer. They have to have an answer. And one thing I learned as I've gotten older, and I think it comes with just with wisdom of life, is... There, we're not going to get answers to a lot of these questions. No, you know, and I think there's a lot of freedom in knowing that you're not going to know all the answers. Yeah, there is, and it's okay. It's okay, and I like that. And that's one of the, one of the reasons, once again, why I'm drawn to the book too. Is and in the movie, it's it's there, but I think he there's a little bit more yeah. fleshing out of it. But it's the idea of ultimately we look back at the story, we look yeah. back at those who are part of that story, whether it's mrs being to mrs forcible or mr bobo these weird people that are just going to show up in our lives and may have a small role to play but they're part of the greater greater story that mm-hmm. we're we're here to live you know oh you want to hear a random bit of trivia sure so i found this on imdb's trivia mm-hmm. <laughs> in the movie mr bobinski has a medal that he wears have you noticed I'm trying to remember i no, I, in my mind, I'm seeing it, but I, I could be just making it up as you he, said it. He has a medal that okay. he wears, and if if someone had said the medal is a specific medal that was only given in the Soviet Union uh-huh. to people who were a part of the cleanup crew for Chernobyl, wow, and and they were saying <laughs> that that would help explain the color of his skin, which is blue. Okay. As well as his behavior. Is that, yeah, that would. And I thought that was a very interesting choice. 
And I like it because it doesn't spill it out for you. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is in um, the book, they kind of hint at this, but in the movie, because you get to see them more, um, you because uh, you actually get to see into his apartment that one time. Yeah. Henry Selleck was talking about how the, one of the questions is, is Mr. Bobinski actually training mice or is it in his head? Don't we see them in the movie? In the real world, though? I'm trying to remember how the movie... You do see a mouse at one point eating the cheese and taking it to the other world. At the end, though. In the ending, do we not beat the mice? Not by Mr. Bobinski. Okay. I'm trying no. to remember. I, you rem- only I remember see the garden the party. I just don't remember if they were there. With no, no. He was like trying to plant the flowers upside down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In the other world, you meet the mice, but that's you find out that they're rats. Yeah. And that they're made of sawdust. But... And, and Henry Selleck has said he does not think that they're real. <laughs> wow. See, and those are, I, I like when, when like that and the, what was the other one we mentioned earlier? The, uh, or even the, the, the Shakespeare quote, when they add these things that yes. have a deeper meaning and deeper, yeah, I love when they do that. And I like it when it's not in your face. Yeah. Like when it's left for you to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess for me, Again, I watched the movie first, and I adore the movie. So, I'm, I want to be fair. If I'm rating the book. Because it's geared towards kids. That's what makes it hard for me to rate things. Yes. Because to... it's geared for kids, and I did not read it as a kid. I think I'll give it a four. I think that's fine. I think that's it does its job. It just didn't do it for me, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, I as far as the movie goes, I again, I love the movie. I I I will be again a little bit um, fair, and I'll give it a nine. Wow, because I I think it covers all its bases. I think it really fleshes out the story. It really adds a lot. I think it really it takes the story and it, it really looks at okay, well. Let's look further down that road. Like, why is it like this? And and I like a lot of what Henry Selleck did in his cre- his his animators and his design team and and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel like I can never really give something a ten <laughs> yeah. because I feel like as soon as I give something a ten, something else is going to come along, and then I'd be like, oh, I should have given that one a ten. <laughs> yeah, but um, and nothing's perfect. Um, at the very least, I think I'm going to give it a nine, if only because there's one specific scene where Mr. Bobinski is walking and it looked really awkward because it looked like the frame rate was off. Oh. <laughs> but but no, I think I'm going to give Coraline the movie a nine. Wow. That's... Which is high praise. Yeah, that's, yeah, I wouldn't go that high. I did. In fact, maybe I'll lower my score to a four then just to mm, marry Just to you. piss me off. Pretty much. Got it. So we do this every time. <laughs> Who is your favorite character? And you're allowed to pick either book or movie. Hmm. Don't act like you didn't know this was coming. I, I, I didn't. Actually, I, I know it's coming, but I forgot to actually think about this ahead of time. The cat. Mm. Got it. In the movie? In the movie. Got it. Yeah. I like him more in the movie. Yeah. Well, I liked him in the book, too, only because I heard the movie voice. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just a wuss puss. <laughs> She's just holding her mouth. She's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, that's a toughie. 
Okay, I'll give you my running up first. If I could make a combo, mm-hmm. it's in the movie Miss Spink Enforceable. Okay. Because I feel like you have to put them together. Because yeah, they, they work together I, I so well. They're so funny. <laughs> They're good for bad things. No, lost things, Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I you know I think my favorite character and I hate to say it is the other mother really she is so compelling hmm. she's so compelling and there's even times where you don't want to but you kind of feel ever so slightly bad for her mm-hmm. I think Terry Hatcher did a phenomenal job with with because she did the mom and the other mother yeah I mean technically you know all all of them did both but I think she does a great job of doing both. It's funny. She has she has said it was harder to be mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it was really easy and fun to do, like, the really um, uh, obliging other mother early on. Oh, uh, okay. Like, the really peppy, like, oh, yeah, anything you want. Mm-hmm. Like, there's scenes, like, her transitioning between the, like, when she becomes, like, the really creepy other mother, yeah. you know, and you just hear so much in her voice. Mm. And like, there's times where you just get the sense, like, I don't, I don't know. Like when, when Coraline's running away for the last time and she's locked the door and the door's like creeping up quickly on her yeah. and you hear the other mother like screaming and she's like, don't leave me. Um, like I'll die without you and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, that alone is <laughs> it's horrifying because and, and it's all in her voice because you don't see it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And there's so much in that delivery alone. I don't know. I I've always thought the other mother. I mean, the both moms are great, but I I I've always liked the other mother because there's just so much in her character. Like, you're always trying to understand her. Yeah. Like, it's hard to look away from her. Like, every single time. Okay. I, I, yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I still like the cat. <laughs> and the dog. No, I'm just kidding. There was no dog. Oh, there were three dogs, and then oh. there was the bat dogs, but no, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't care yeah. about that. Which, I, by the way... I loved the choice in the movie uh-huh. of having Miss Big Enforceable stuffing their dogs after they die. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that was weird. Because that was the one thing I, I never did get an answer from for in the book was the rats. What, what were they... What was their role? At least in the movie, she created them and gave well, them life. And that's, that's an interesting thing, too, because in the movie the jumping mice they make it clear that they're jumping mice mm-hmm. in in the book they they never say that like there's a couple times they say mice but they say rats a lot yeah and in the movie they chose to not make them normal mice they made them specifically jumping mice mm-hmm. which are not native to america i believe oh, i didn't know that and it adds to that sense of like otherworldliness yeah i, I, I can see that it's also just interesting to watch Mm-hmm. You did, it, speaking of the mice going back to what you said before so I'm now wondering in the book were the mice real because you never really see them in the book Coraline hears them at the end yeah I don't know but you never see them I can't remember them. was there that 
Was there a line in the book where the cat says he doesn't like rats at the best of times or something? He says that in the other world, yeah. In the book? In the book. And you don't see him actually eat it? He takes it into the forest and then you don't actually see him. You, so you see don't, him you playing don't see with it. it like in the he movie. Never eats it. The movie really shows you that they're there. Yeah. So I'm curious is whether they they existed in no in the real world though. I'm talking about the mice in the real world for Mr. Bobo, Mr. Bobinski. Or was that all in his Oh, well, head? you never see anything from him in the book. No, you just... He's, he's barely in the book. Yeah. So now I'm wondering, did Coraline hear that band at the end in her head as well? Was that just her? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. That was a, I've been looking forward to talking about this one for a while. Yeah, now I need to go rewatch the movie. Yeah, you do. Maybe my score will be lower after Let's this. Let's watch it right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> not at 9.30 at night what's wrong with that <laughs> I have to go to work tomorrow <laughs> so okay before we wrap this one up let's play what type of adaptation is this for those of you who haven't heard our podcast before please check out our trailer where we talk about what is an adaptation I came up with four different types there's faithful to source material expanded artistic and message driven so what do you think Romy Alright, so you know how I feel about the, the, the two different versions. Yeah, this has been a roller coaster episode, Romy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. I I'm gonna have to say I think it was more expanded. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I think there definitely were artistic choices that were made definitely. that were very different. Mm-hmm. But I it's definitely expanded if 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 only because you know, in the book you and I agree with you, you know, i think it's the fear of the unknown. Neil Gaiman is a is a great writer, but I I really like how in the movie they show how things happen, the mechanics behind it. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get to see how the other mother does things, and you know, the fact that they created the idea of her having the doll and mm-hmm. and and things like that. No, I agree. I, I I may have liked one over the other, but there were I really liked the movie. You remember when I first saw it? If, well, yes. yeah. So you loved the movie when I first showed it to you. <laughs> I hadn't read the book, and then I made the mistake of having you read the book for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I definitely think it is expanded, and I, yeah. I I do appreciate what they did in the movie, even if I liked one over the other. Sure. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners, expanded means there were changes, whether additions or omissions. That were made to highlight the themes, the characterizations, the world building. Oftentimes this is used when you're streamlining shorter adaptations. And yeah, I mean, the book is short. <laughs> so is. it's not the shortest book we'll probably read, but... <laughs> True. But no, I mean, yeah, I, I I like how they expanded on it, but we talked about that already, so I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's the type of adaptation. Thanks for agreeing with me again. <laughs> Once in a while. If you, as a listener, are interested in any specific episodes that you want us to cover, any books, musicals, movies... Anything with that ad- adaptation. Yeah. yeah. Let us let us know, and um, you can hit us up, and we'll be very interested to consider. <laughs> any final words from you, Romy? Thank you for listening. Great. <laughs> Original. <laughs> All right, great. It's late. Well, we'll catch you later. Thank you again. All right. Bye. Good night. Or goodbye. We had an ending. Yeah, I know. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Willing to Adapt. Please like and subscribe. Maybe leave a review or just share us with friends and family. We would also love if you would follow us on social media. If you have ideas for future episodes for us, please email us at ericandromi at willingtoadapt.com.
romywithani.com. That's Romy with an I. And remember, when the only thing constant in life is change, be willing to adapt.